Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. We have come to the close of a year. And this morning, we also come to the close of a sermon series that has guided our time through God's Word together through Advent and through Christmas. Together, we've been exploring the hope that we've been given in Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah who was born that first Christmas. We've seen how as followers of Jesus, we find our hope strengthened as we look back to his first coming and as we await his promised return in his second coming. And we've seen that the hope that we've been given in Christ produces certain fruits, certain outcomes in us. Because of the hope we've been given, we have been given the ability to move beyond despair and into hope-fueled rather than anxiety-driven choices and actions. We find that because of the hope we've been given, we can love God and love those around us as hope frees us from grasping tightly and selfishly to what we've been given. Hope floods us with joy that transcends our circumstances. And hope gives us a deep, true peace. Peace that comes to us only because the Messiah, the Christ, has indeed come to us. Last week we explored how, like Simeon and Anna, as they encounter the baby Jesus in the temple, we can trust and claim and celebrate that because the Messiah has come, there may be hard days ahead, but all is truly well and at peace with our souls. We move beyond despair. We can love. We have joy. We have peace. And so the question is, well, who is this we? Who is the we that we're talking about? Is it, is it everyone or is it just certain people? And if it does include us, well, how did that happen? How did we get to be part of the we? A big part of the answer to that question is found in a story in Matthew's gospel that we encounter just after the record of Jesus' birth. In Matthew chapter two, we read that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So if you look at uh, your Bibles, you see that Matthew chapter 1 ends with the story of Jesus being born and then named. And then right here at the beginning of chapter 2, Matthew fast forwards probably almost about two years to the time when Jesus is now a child. We're told he's living in a house in Bethlehem where Mary and Joseph had apparently chosen to raise him at least for a while. And then these magi or, or wise men come from the east, we're told. Maybe from Babylon, maybe from Arabia. And they had apparently been exposed to the Old Testament prophecies that they would have heard, learned from the Jewish colonies in their own homeland. Because although many Jews had returned to Palestine after the time of exile, there were many others who remained in Babylon and Parthia and Arabia. And the Gentile or non-Jewish religious leaders and scholars in those areas were actually regularly exposed to Hebrew scriptures and prophecies and teachings. Now, we actually know very little about these, these magi, these wise men, astrologers, searchers among the stars. And despite the carol that we'll sing in just a few minutes, we three kings, we don't know how many there were, and they probably weren't kings. But Matthew's point is clear. These were people who had been diligently seeking to understand prophecies. And these magi were on a mission to find this one who had been born king of the Jews. And by giving Jesus that title, these Gentiles, these outsiders, these people beyond the covenant promises of God, proclaim that a king has come in the line of David. The Messiah had arrived. One commentator notes that Israel's prophets, such as Ezekiel, had long spoken of a period of world peace and prosperity that would be instituted by a future Davidic deliverer. And this belief had penetrated beyond the borders of Israel so that others were looking for a ruler to arise from the land of Judea. These magi are told by the chief priests and teachers who were called together by King Herod that this ruler, this king, had been prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. And so that's where they head. They head off to Bethlehem. And Matthew says the same star that they had seen in their own homeland now moved ahead of them and came to rest over the place where the child Jesus was. And when they saw it stop, we're told that they were overjoyed. Their journey had been a success. They found the king, and so they came and bowed and worshiped and presented Jesus with treasures. Now, it's quite unlikely that these magi actually worship Jesus with a, a clear understanding of his divine nature. Their worship was probably actually far more meaningful than even they understood. But at least they understand that this is God's promised one. This is the Messiah, and they worship the God of Israel through him. Herod, too, we know, had claimed that he wanted to go to worship this one who was born king of the Jews. But as the story goes on, it turns out that Herod's real design was to eliminate any threat to his own throne. The Magi present three gifts to the child Jesus, 
And it's this number of gifts that leads some to assume that there were three gift givers. Gold was a prized metal used for making jewelry, ornaments, even dining instruments, forks, knives, and spoons for royalty. Frankincense was used ceremonially in Israel as part of the recipe for the only incense that was allowed to be, to be burned on the temple altar. And myrrh is the dried sap of a certain tree that was used in perfume as well as part of a mix of spices that would stifle the smell of a body being prepared for burial. Now, over the years, there have been many, many attempts at attributing symbolic significance to these gifts. For example, the gold announcing Jesus as king, the frankincense proclaiming the reality that he is God and worthy of worship, and the myrrh foreshadowing his death. And while it's possible that these were somehow unwitting tokens with these meetings, it's likely that the Magi did not fully understand the person and role and mission of Jesus enough to choose these gifts for those purposes. Instead, it's more likely that these, Jews, that these gifts were chosen for their costliness, for their value, because the Magi wanted to offer Jesus the honor that was due him as the king of the Jews. And without knowing it, it's likely that the Magi were providing gifts with enough value that they would financially support this family who would soon be forced to flee to Egypt where they would live as refugees after God had warned Joseph in a dream that Herod was seeking to kill the child. This journey of the wise men is traditionally celebrated at a time in the church calendar we call Epiphany. Epiphany falls on January 6th, which is the 12th day of Christmas that we sing about in that really long song. An epiphany is defined as an illuminating discovery or realization or disclosure. The Magi saw the star in the east and they had an epiphany. They had the realization that this signaled the fulfillment of ancient prophecy. And then they came to Bethlehem and discovered the baby Jesus. But this visit to the Holy Family by strangers from the east was also a disclosure. A disclosure by God that the kingdom that Jesus will rule over is not simply and merely the kingdom of Israel. Jesus was the long foretold king of the Jews who would follow in the line of King David, but he was not the king of the Jews only. Last week we heard that when Simeon found the baby Jesus in the temple with his parents, he held the child in his arms and proclaim, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And when these magi show up at Jesus' door in Bethlehem, they are a key part, a key element in God's disclosure to the world of just how big and wide and deep the kingdom of Jesus will be. As it turns out, it's actually a kingdom that's big enough even for us. I'm guessing that most of us here this morning don't have Jewish lineage, although I'm, I'm sure some do. And yet, by the grace of God, all of us have been included in the promises of God's love. We've been invited into the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. 
Jesus came as the promised Messiah of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. The Hebrew people had been calling out for a deliverer, calling out to God for rescue, for help, for relief from their oppressors. And Jesus came in answer to all those prayers. But he came for more than that. He came so that all people could find freedom from slavery, from bondage, from oppression, not just to occupying human, human foreign forces, but to the sin that had plagued all of humanity since the time of Adam and Eve. All people and all creation have been calling out for a rescuer, for a savior, for a Messiah since the time of the Garden of Eden. And it turned out to be a long wait. But as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia in the passage that was read earlier, that when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Paul says at just the right time, the Messiah finally came. In God's timing, the time of the Messiah finally arrived when Mary and Joseph found themselves in Bethlehem, desperately in need of a place for Mary to have her baby. Jesus, the Messiah, was born. Jesus, given the name Yeshua, the Lord saves, was born to this poor couple who had traveled from Nazareth to comply with the census order that Caesar Augustus had decreed. And somehow, by the grace and mystery of God, this moment of history matters for us. Somehow, this birth in an overcrowded village a few miles outside of the city of Jerusalem matters for us today. It matters because it opens the door to our adoption as children of God. Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Paul says we are no longer slaves, no longer slaves to the, the principles that rule the world, no longer slaves even to the law, no longer slaves to sin. The Magi from the East came to honor the one born King of the Jews. And by their presence and by giving him royal presence, they announced to the world that this was the king not just of the Jews, but of all who were looking for rescue, for salvation. And so this is how we get to become we. We who have hope. We who can love. We who have peace. We who have joy. We who have been shown a kingdom. All because we have been adopted into the family of God. We know that children who are adopted into a family are no less part of that family than those who are born into it. Not everyone recognized Jesus as king when he was born. They didn't recognize him as Lord when he lived and taught. Not everyone recognized him as savior when he died on a cross. There were those who wanted nothing to do with Jesus or simply weren't interested in his claims or in his teachings about God's kingdom. We see that there were those who rejected him and those who embraced him. 
And the same, of course, has been true ever since. Today, if you sense that this might be the day that you are ready to be adopted into a new family and welcomed into the kingdom of God himself, I would, I would love to talk with you and pray with you. Any of our pastors, any of our Stephen ministers would love to, to talk with you and hear your questions and pray with you about what this kingdom gift, this adoption into God's family really means. The kingdom of God broke into this world through this little poor family of three in Bethlehem. And that kingdom has been growing ever since. It's a spacious kingdom, an expansive kingdom with room for so many more, with room even for us. God has embraced us in his arms through the love of Christ and has offered us adoption into his family, the privilege of becoming heirs of God himself, co-heirs with Jesus himself as our brother. This is the news that was announced by a baby in a manger, announced by a star in the heavens. This is good news. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Loving, saving, and adopting God, thank you for the kingdom into which you have welcomed us through your son, Jesus. God, thank you for grafting us into the covenants of Israel, for sharing with us the riches of those promises, even while we were outsiders. Thank you for sending us a Messiah for everyone, for letting us hear and respond to good news that causes great joy for all people. Thank you for the gift of Jesus and for the eternal treasure we have in him. We pray all this in his holy name. Amen.